Live from Castle Oblivion, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Hello, Timothy. Hello, uh, Nick, right? Yeah. Yes. yes, yes, you're Nick. Yes, I I was last time I knew it. I'm sorry, this this castle we're in, it is, is pristine white, and it's kind of like I need to put on some shades. Yeah. It's messing with my brain a little bit. I know, it is. I, I feel like I'm forgetting things, like things are just slipping over and more changing somewhat. But... Hello, Timothy. Oh, hi, Nick. How are okay, you doing? Okay, good. Hi. So this, this is a nice place, but yeah, it's kind of... Um... It messes my brain a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, maybe because it's so blindingly white. Yeah. So. Uh, whoa, deja vu. Yeah, that's weird. Anyway, it's nicely decorated, but like it seems like some rooms we go into look like we're in a completely different area. Maybe you have some idea where to go. I don't have a map or anything. I'm a little lost. I've got these cards. See, it looks like oh. it looks like we got to play some card games in order to get through this castle. Not the weirdest thing we've ever done. No, but unique. Yeah. But anyway, we should get on with our podcast before we start exploring. That sounds good. So, Tim, hi. Welcome to uh, audience to Derail Trains of Thought, uh, your premier podcast on storytelling for the consumer and creator. Or is it for the creator and the consumer? Both. Oh, okay. Good. So. We got to cover both ways. Yes. <laughs> well, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's January here. Well, I don't know if it is here, but back home it's January. Yes, yes. And it's going pretty well, for me at least. This is the annual time when I ask you, how'd the ski trip go? Skiing trip went great. No, it was a lot of fun. It was good to get away. Christmas break was well. Look forward to. Mm-hmm. No sledding mishaps. Or no anything. sledding mishaps or, or other mishaps. sort of mishaps. No Mosher mishaps, as we say sometimes, <laughs> um, because things that, happen. Things have happened. Yes. Um, no, it was it was a good time. Uh, we got away. We got open presents. We hang out with family, et cetera, et cetera. Cool. Cool. And how was your New Year's? Uh, fun, although you know, kind of low key this this time around. Not with... I was low key. I didn't do an all nighter this year. I know. That's uh, thank you, COVID. I guess. Yeah. You got. You actually got to get more sleep this year. I, I got to spend it with. I got to spend the New Year with my kids for once. Wow. Because nice. I know yeah. you usually do like the lock in with junior high students. Yep. Well, anyway, Janelle and I we had a nice holiday time, of course, and then after Christmas we've been doing lots of catching up on Lost. We're almost almost all caught up. We have like two discs left of, of season three. Nice. And if so, you have not been listening, audience, uh, to our weekly hijack, our other podcast, where we've been going through Lost for the second time, well, for, at least for Tim and I. Yes, yes. And in the watching for the weekly hijack, we're into season four. The release, I think we'll be into, we'll, we'll be finishing up season three in mid-February. Okay. So we're getting, we're getting close to four. So we, we just got a little bit of a buffer there in the release schedule. Yeah, so. we lost, we lost all of our buffer over COVID days. Yeah. And we, we kind of took. And Christmas. And, and we, yeah. And there was wedding stuff. Oh and, yeah, there was that. So yeah, we kind of took our time with season three, which is fine because we, our buffer is very nice. Nice, nicely padded. Yeah. But, yeah. All right, Tim. So, before we always... Oh, yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, we can't forget what we are here for. Story school. Yes. (laughs) 
So, Tim, this was my idea. I had found it so, this idea somewhere on a podcast that then also had an article. I but, was wondering, was that a podcast that you listen to regularly? No, actually. Oh, okay. Um, I had sort of, I don't remember how I found it, and I subscribed to it. It's one of those podcasts, like, what's basically... It, what's it called? We haven't oh, actually said sorry. it. A <laughs> uh, podcast is called Freakonomics. Okay. Um, but this was a spinoff oh, one. Oh, this was. What is the spinoff called? Uh, um, no Dumb Questions or something like that? No, no Stupid Questions? No Stupid Questions. Yeah. Which I basically just subscribe to, and I don't listen to the vast majority of them, but whenever a question comes up oh, okay. nowadays, the first one I listened to was this one okay. that brought up, which was why we forget so much of what we read or watch. And they made an interesting point in the podcast, and this article talks about it from a different angle, and I thought it would be interesting to discuss in this podcast is the idea that sometimes you have books you love and you'll recommend to people or movies, but you really couldn't tell them that much about what's in it. Maybe like the a sketch of an outline. A sketch of an outline, but you don't remember. And this happens to me quite a lot. I've realized. That, you know, I listen to podcasts. I'm like, yeah, like I'm talking about the Deathgate cycle all the time. I couldn't tell you almost anything that happens in those seven books. Who's that by? Uh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Okay, well, you remember that much at least. I remember who wrote it because they wrote Dragonlance and other things, and I was and I remember the general outline. But there's seven books, and I remember like scenes. Uh huh. You know. Yeah. And even Wheel of Time at this point, there's a lot. I mean, I remember quite a bit. Because well, we'll go into it. But Tim, I want to ask you: give me a like a movie or a TV show or something that you you'd love, you'd recommend to anyone. But the details are actually really sketchy. I guess the recent Ducktales, in some ways. Now I'm rewatching it with a friend now, so I could probably reiterate certain things from season one. But I remember I've talked it up on this podcast. I Mm -hmm. talked it up with my sister, Danielle, and she was going through it. And she told me, oh, I was really enjoying this. And I was like, uh, (laughs) which was a little disconcerting because I hadn't watched it all that long ago. And I was already already forgetting certain details. And I've had that experience with a number of things that I've seen before she did, Mm -hmm. um, before my sister. And then I'd be like. I didn't see it that long ago, but certain things apparently didn't stick with me as much as I thought. Actually, another one, I'm finally uh, catching up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, yeah. Which is fun, but like I remembered certain things. I mean, to be fair, it's been about a year and a half since I'd seen the end of the last season, and there were certain things I, that had stuck with me, but then there are other plot details. I was like, wait, what happened to May again? How, yeah. What was going mm-hmm. on? There was some parallel world thing, but how is this? How did it affect her? And uh, I still haven't actually gone back and read, okay, how did it happen again? Yeah. And it's just kind of a weird thing because, like, I know for some people that, like, where story and movies and some of the stuff isn't their passion, they just read through all kinds of stuff. That's understandable, but. I loved Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so the fact that I was forgetting details is like, this feels really weird. (laughs) I always talk about how Rogue One was so great. I think I've only seen the movie once. I couldn't tell you most of what happens in that movie anymore. (laughs) I mean, you know, some big things, but it's just, it's interesting that our emotions about a story and our cognition about it are in some ways two completely different things. Right. And we're talking about something that, like we said, other people have talked about it, both in that podcast and in that Atlantic article. And so we'll probably wind up reiterating some of those things, mm-hmm. but we'll probably also throw in some of our own perspectives here, too. Because I didn't know if I would get the philosophical question right away, but let's, let's go ahead and ask it. And then th- this maybe underpins the rest of our story. And I'm not sure this is something that was in the article at all, was what is the, is there something lost in a story, if you can't remember it, I mean, what's the use of reading a story if later on all you remember is that you liked it? 
Yeah, like in the podcast, they talked a lot about like how they could remember where they were when they picked mm-hmm. up the book, or who gave them the book, I, or I the can feeling mark, of the cover, or something like speaking that. Speaking of skiing trips, I can mark most of my vacations, ski trips and summer vacations, by what I was reading. I, uh-huh. can, I can almost remember that more than some other things. I've kind of made it a point in I don't know for since I was in college. Anytime I'd go to my my family's favorite vacation spot is Hilton Head Island, mm-hmm. South Carolina. We love that beach. It's a great community. But I've made ever since high school, I've made it a point to be very intentional on what kinds of books I bring because actually one of them I remember senior year of high school was The Fellowship of the Ring. Nice. And that was that was a great beach read. Um, and then I remember during high school, I read Peter Pan, which, and then I read some of the Peter Pan and the Starcatcher series oh, yeah. books while there too. And there was, those are just great books to read in kind of adventure kind of settings while mm-hmm. you're on in the sun and the sand. And like, that's what I, I, but I know you've brought all kinds of weird stuff to the beach. <laughs> well, I, I don't, as normal, I don't tend to uh, equate like, you know, it's Christmas. Here, let's do this weird song, everybody. <laughs> you know, so yeah, my brain works a little strange, but. But yeah, my memory of reading those books is enhanced by the setting mm-hmm. where I got to read them in. So there's something to that. But at the same time, I kind of also identify with what your question, that was something that was in the back of my head while listening to them talk about this and thinking, well, in some ways, maybe the content is that as important and as I'm always like, but it is kind of important, right? You don't want to just be like taking in information and then or a story and immediately forgetting it. It seems like it doesn't mean it means that the story, something about it didn't sink in. At least it would seem. Yeah. And I guess that's the I guess that's what interests me is that what is the you know, in some ways it touches on what's the purpose of reading. Mm-hmm. fiction you know is it for knowledge acquisition is it for just the momentary experience is there something halfway like it subconsciously changes your ability to think about things and i think we are so inundated with different sorts of stories that in some ways it's not likely we would remember all of it oh yeah i mean it's always interesting to me there's certain especially you go to older writers They'll all like can quote the Roman or the you know Aristotle or Plato or like Herodotus, Herodotus, mm-hmm. yeah. And they it's like because they've studied in school and then it just became part of or like people can just quote Shakespeare on a dime, yeah. Because the the list of classics was very narrow. Like everyone reads these books and you read them a lot and then they just sink in. And now we have an ocean full of, of everything stuff. of yeah. stuff, and then it changes in some ways how we interactive with it maybe i imagine a part of that though is also like you said they were reading these things in school Mm -hmm. so that means when you read certain things for school it tends to sink in deeper now not necessarily (laughs) not necessarily everything i don't remember anything of i read from the book out of africa because i hated that book i didn't i don't remember anything about test of the derbervilles except it was Tess of the Durbervilles. <laughs> and there's uh, some person, someone dies. Yeah. I mean, there's a weird paradox about this because some things we read in school because we're required to and we can't stand them because we're required to. And then there'll be other things that will sink in deeper, mm-hmm. That be- whether because you went over them deeper in a class, you remember certain details more. And at the same time, I remember, I know there's some, I, remember, I read David Copperfield for fun sometime when yeah. I was in high school. I hardly remember anything about that book now. Yeah. Like, I thought it was feeling cool. I'm reading Charles Dickens on my own. But uh, though, I only remember, like, a character or two from that. So let's pull out for a second, and we'll, come, we'll, we'll circle back to this question. I think this is where we'll may or may not have an answer. But say you wanted to remember more of your stories. 
like reading them or writing mm. them even. Like sometimes I'm like, I wrote that. <laughs> like, I don't remember that at all. What would you do? Well, I guess some intentionality would be a part of it. I mean, I know there are people who like take notes on the margins of the paper and yeah. in the books that they read. That's never been my style. I mean, I, I've done it occasionally, like if I was going to like write a report on something, mm-hmm. but I generally don't like having to read a book with a pen in hand. Yeah. But at the same time, there is something I think that helps cement a work in your mind eh, to a degree by being intentional about it. Like I still remember back, uh, this has been uh, 10 years ago or so, when we had that little movie club for a little yeah. while. I remember where we were when we watched each of those movies because mm-hmm. it was like that was an event. It was we, we got together and we watched the movie together and we talked about it afterwards. And I think those associations are important. It's a unique spot. So you remember it more. You know, you remember vacation books because you're not home. Mm -hmm. And also, I think community. Yeah. I think there's a communal understanding. This happens with just memories in general. There are certain memories that your family will remember because everyone talks about it all the time. Uh That you're like, you would never remember on your own. Natasha has memories that she doesn't remember, but the Obergfells who were in Brazil with her remember because there was four of them. So they Mm. would talk about a lot. She was the only child. Okay. And I think the community, you know, helps associations and then i know the article mentioned there's research that says the longer you take doing something the more mm-hmm. likely it is to because i guess i think technically like within 24 hours things drop out of your head um so yeah come to re, re you know i studied hamlet for like a, it felt like a month six weeks in high school and i remember that book pretty well or at least very fondly and when i get back to him like oh yeah this and this and this and this mm-hmm. this is why early in our podcast life there was a lot of talk of Lost. Right. We had the shared community, and it had been going on for six years. Yeah. And which is different than we've seen a lot of other good shows since then, like Agent Shield, but we haven't talked to them about the same way, and we haven't had the same shared experience necessarily on that in the sure. same way. Yeah, it's not... Well, we're jumping all over the place, and I want to come back to some of those topics. But yeah, and another key difference about Lost was there was... A lot to explore. What does this mean? There's you're thinking ambiguities. about it. Yeah, you're processing it a lot more deeply as you're going through it. And I think a lot of works that like hit you in a certain way that inspire you that like you really want to to use a word you've used on this podcast before, grok, grok, yeah, to to deeply understand something. Yeah, that's going to imprint itself on your memory a lot more because you spend a lot more effort digging into that. It's the intentionality. Yeah, I mean, it's just a different version. Instead of taking notes, you're processing all the time yes yeah which is why movies that have a lot of you have to think about sometimes last longer in your head mm-hmm. not that they're necessarily better movies but watching inception is just going to stick in your head longer because <laughs> it sticks in your head right it was an experience <laughs> it was an experience I was, well we talked about not too long ago about going to the movies you, you mm-hmm. remember again a very specific events you went to the movie theater you got to see this with other people you got to process talk about it after the mm-hmm. fact yeah yeah going back to what you were saying about natasha's family kind of help reinforcing that was yeah. something i thought was interesting I don't remember now if it, whether it was in the podcast or the article. Sometimes you remember things by kind of reviewing them with other people. Mm-hmm. Like someone talking about a past family events, 
you may not remember it on your own, but then as they talk about it, it's like, oh yeah. So it's a, an external force that helps you remember something. Yeah. That, so it, it means it's in your brain somewhere, mm-hmm. but not uh, not something that your working memory would immediately recall without help. Well, this has happened when we during the hijack season three. We start an episode, we don't know anything, and then we start like, oh, I know what happens this episode. Yeah. You know, your brain just starts firing again, making those connections again. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting phenomenon. I don't remember what do they what do they call the two things? Like working memory is just the what you need to remember for your yeah. immediate day to day stuff, or you know week by week stuff. And then there's recall memory, which I guess is maybe one of the reasons why a lot of like current shows kind of fade. The specifics fade a lot faster because there's so much. One, again, our brains are filtering through so much information mm-hmm. at a, such a fast pace in our information age. But then also because of the internet, we also know I can access this stuff and yep. basically we know how to, where to find it. So it doesn't have to remain in our immediate memory banks. Yeah. I think the article <laughs> mentioned that the internet's basically an external hard drive, mm-hmm. you know, and that Aristotle, I guess, even back in the day thought when we started writing, we we're going to lose our memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember hearing about that back in my days of mass media communications yep. classes. So yeah, the, the idea that like writing things down, you know, back when it w- you memorized the Odyssey and the Iliad and yep. it had a rhythmical thing because not everyone could read and write it down. There was a fear that some of our ability to remember things would inherently be lost by writing it down. Mm-hmm. And yet, as Ari pointed out, if you didn't write things down, you wouldn't have Plato. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I think from a Christian view, Christian point of view, it's interesting that God decided to put everything in a book because He knew we'd forget, uh-huh. <laughs> and we need to be able to come back to it over and over again. Which brings us back to the issue. Is the point of reading to remember it? Mm. Well, I mean, if you mean rereading, I suppose it's true, but you, well, okay, I see what you're saying. I'm going back. At a certain level, reading something is just the first time experience. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, are the facts of a book, is it important to fully understand the book? Like fiction. Now, nonfiction is a whole different issue because sure. you're trying to get information. Yeah. And yeah. But like in a fiction book, is it, or have we failed as readers if a month later you don't remember the major details? I mean, sometimes I can't even remember names of my own characters in my books, you know, <laughs> after a number of years. Uh-huh. And I guess I would argue, no, at least not completely. Not completely. I mean, this is one thing I thought, now I don't remember if it was the podcast or the <laughs> article, they're kind of blending together in my mind. But they, they pointed out, like, in some ways, even if you don't remember details, it still has informed you become kind of a part of who you are in some way, which I can kind of see. Like, even if you don't remember every single book you read as a kid, you probably still read something that kind of reinforced, yeah, this is the sort of person I want to be, or no, I don't like this kind of story, or something like that. Walt Whitman has this poem called The Child Went Forth, which I only remember because in, um, I think, sophomore year, we had to kind of write our own version of his poem. And so... I remember it. Otherwise, that would just been like most poems, which I just forget right away. Uh. But it's all about, I think it's about himself, just that everything he basically experienced became part of him and shaped him. And I think in some ways, the point of, maybe not the point, one purpose of literature, movies, entertainment, obviously some some just the experience of relaxing and being exposed to adrenaline or mystery or whatever. But I think it does, the best of it, it shapes you even in ways you don't, that are different than knowledge. Mm-hmm. 
interesting thought I just had. I lived in a couple different places before we settled down here in Indiana. And there, there are certain people from um, when I lived in Minnesota or North Carolina that I remember that I was close friends with. But there are a number of other people that I know I interacted with that I don't have very firm memories of who they were. Like mm-hmm. maybe a name or two might stick in my mind, but not much else about. But at the same time, they're, they were part of my experience, part of my life at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And obviously, spending time with other people is a valuable thing, whether or not you remember specifics. So... I think in a roundabout way, our interaction with authors, creators, and in a story medium can be very similar. We're connecting with another person's art in some way, shape, or form. And yeah, in the best stories, I think they'll they'll stick with you in a way. But even if they even if they don't, I mean that's still you're still connecting with another person in mm-hmm. some mysterious way through their stories. So I recently taught Fahrenheit 451 to my eighth graders. It's interesting because the books are all gone. And Faber in it explained what is uh, the main character is like, if we get books, we can solve what's wrong with society. And Faber's like, not necessarily. He's like, books just held knowledge. And we needed three things to make them work. One, we need books that had depth to them. They had talked about life in some real way. And two, we needed time to think about it. Mm. And I think that's kind of held true even with the research that in some ways, if you don't have the time to think about it, it doesn't have the same amount of, I don't know, impact. Again, like some books aren't supposed to have impact. They're just there for enjoyment, which is not a bad thing either. I guess I find that a fascinating issue simply because I think a, a different version of myself would be much more utilitarian, being like, what's the use of this? Sure. I, I've, always, I've always kind of thought that my, uh, my non-Christian self would be an atheist existentialist. And would be like, well, what's the point of all this? And it's just absurd and waiting for Godot sort of stuff. Okay. <laughs> and so I find this interesting. Or waiting for... Did you see... Okay, have, have you seen Wonder Woman? Yes. The, you mean the Wonder Woman 84? 84. Okay, you know the the homeless guy she helped... The What's her name helps? Yes, he was reading Waiting for Godot. But was it Godot or was Godot? <laughs> oh, oh, Gal Godot? Yeah, I wondered. <laughs> I, it was too quick, but later on, I'm like, you know what? That would be a great pun if they changed the cover. <laughs> well, isn't it spelled the same way? No, uh, G-O-D-O-T for the play. And isn't it G-A for Gal Gadot? Or how do you say her name? I think her, name's, I think her name might be spelled the same way. Oh, is it? Okay, well then. It's funny either way. I'll, I'll have to look. But <laughs> Random sidetrack. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to... Yeah, that is pretty clever. It's interesting. Your non-Christian self. I've I've also thought my non-Christian self would be some sort of like, oh, drat. What's the the sensualist? The, the Epicurean. Epicurean is the everything is permissible. Yeah. Sort of thing, which sounds crazy because <laughs> I've been I've always been a very like kind of conservative do-gooder, but like I think the like wanting to consume lots of mm-hmm. media and everything. I could see my non-Christian me doing that. It's always interesting to think of your not yeah. But anyway, that's we're way off topic, guys. We are. <laughs> I forgot what were we talking about. I forget. Uh, um. <laughs> so, anyways, I just like wrestling with this. It's just a fact of life that most of what I've read, I don't remember. Later on today, we're going to have our in our podcast. We're having our take on tales, reviewing the books. I had to sit down and remember what I actually read because I don't. <laughs> in last year, in twenty twenty, yeah, I think it's cool. Some people do like write all the. You know, I don't use Goodreads mm-hmm. because I just I just don't. But, like, journals keeping track of what you read, 
Seems yeah. like a cool idea. My dad actually has something like this. He uh, at some point it became too much of a chore to like keep it written down. So we actually made an Excel sheet for him and typed it all in, so he could just do a word search to see. So have I read? Because he, my dad actually reads way more books than I do. He he gets a lot from the libraries mm-hmm. and church libraries. He reads a lot of Christian fiction. Yeah, um, and a lot of he actually does a pretty good mix of fiction and nonfiction. But anyway, it's it's frequent enough that he yeah that, that's how he keeps track of it all, which. Yeah, my dad is not a computer person or not a techie at all. Yeah. So the fact that he, he felt like this was something he needed is, uh, yeah, that's pretty nifty. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I respect the people who do that. And I, I know at least one of our listeners who's got like books all over her house. Oh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know who yep. you are. I'm curious to see. Send us a note, Catherine. I'm curious whether uh, how you keep track or and how many of those like, because I remember like in high school at the library, she would come like, Every week with a stack of books, like you know, uh, that's crazy. I'm not a, a, a foot tall. That's <laughs> cool, but I yeah, I can't process. That I'm, fast. I'm a little, I'm a little jealous because I can't read that fast. Yeah. But I'm, I'd be curious to hear from her how much of that she remembers mm-hmm. and how how she keeps track of what she's read. And memory is just such an interesting thing, especially how it relates to stories, how we think about stories, how we remember sometimes how we remember a story and go back like, oh, that's not that's not even what we're talking about. But you've mm-hmm. gone back to like a movie, like. I forgot that was in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, which we talked about in a prior episode. Yeah. So, folks, if you are enjoying this conversation, you may want to. Well, it's an old episode, so I can't quite vouch for the audio quality. But way back, I'm looking it up. Don't you remember? I don't. I have to pull up my <laughs> thing here. Uh, episode 24, back in 2011. Nice. So, almost 10 years ago. What was that one? What was that episode? Lest other old stories oh, be okay. forgot. Yep. Yeah, that's the one about how our tastes can change over time. But I guess it also just shows us, you know, just the limits of human ability. You know, we usually want to be like, not just consume stuff, but we wish, well, at least maybe it's just me, to know all things, <laughs> which we're a story about. But that, you know, we are limited and we forget things and that's just part of doing it, you know. And sometimes this is why we read books, because yourself that's 10 years older than you were last time is going to interact with the book different and remember it different and process it different. Mm-hmm. And so if we thought if it was just facts, we'd lose that current self versus whatever you're reading. Mm-hmm. And I find it a little comforting to know that it's not just us getting older, forgetting things more regularly. Right. We have more. I mean, I, I have found that so much of what my story ideas and like music and stories, like right in high school, is stuff I remember in some ways the best. Mm-hmm. And I think it must just because that's when I was discovering so much of it and so much time to process it. Yeah. High school, college, for me, kind of similar. Yep, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff from childhood that I remember partly just because we had that VHS or yeah. I, I had that book. You know, we didn't have access. The internet wasn't what quite mm-hmm. what it is now. So, like, I was curious, wondering about this the other day. Do your kids rewatch things very often anymore? Or do they all only ever, like, always having something new to watch on Disney Plus? <sighs> no, my my girls especially rewatch things a lot. Okay. The younger more than not. Theo, he's not really a big watcher in general. Okay. And he's getting to a point where... He'd rather reread some of his stuff, but because of AR points, accelerated reader points, he's always doing new stuff. <laughs> okay. Which is, it's fine. It's just, I was wondering about that the other day because like at some point you just rewatched certain tapes because yep. that's what you had. You re- <laughs> yeah, read exactly. certain books a whole, like over and over again, that's probably because what... you love them, but also because those are the books you own. We have so many choices now. And I think there's both the good and bad side of that. One, there's choices and we can see a lot more, but 
that sort of single-mindedness mm-hmm. is often lost unless you're very purposeful about it. Which is why I'm always super fascinated. People are like, yeah, I love this particular type of author and I only read all that all the time. I think that's cool in the sense that you've invested in that. Sure, sure. But, but anyway, sorry, I, I, I kind of extended, you had a nice wrap up and I kind of extended uh, it. But That's normally my job. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I like that there, it's not just the fact of, Yes, we're older. We have less time to invest in. We're not rereading a certain thing. We're not in school anymore. There are those external factors, but I'd also kind of like the idea that this is also something of how the human brain works. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to, like the Bible, it's always remember, retell, you know, it's always repeat, which I think is why the best books I would like to read about every five, 10 years. Yeah. If I had time. Makes sense. So that is our story school. And next is soundtrack. For our first soundtrack today, I was kind of on the fence about a couple choices until I found this remix called Memories of the Sea. And I listened to it and I was like, oh, this is very nice. It's kind of, it is kind of nostalgic sounding. This is by Joe Bomarito. I think I'm guessing is how you say it. Um, it's a remix from Seiken Densetsu 3, aka Trials of Mana, as it was finally released in the United States last year. Um, this had been a Japanese only game for a while. Um, but I've always really enjoyed music from the Mana series, even though I've never played a single game from that series. Um, but like I said, this feels very nostalgic and very chill, and I hope you enjoy.
right, welcome back. That was an enjoyable, just sort of relaxing. Yeah, a very kind of old school remix, but sometimes that's just what you're in the mood for, you know? So, Tim, we've been banning around that we should, you know, monetize this podcast more. You've talked about doing sponsors ever since we had that one, uh, what was it, Snakeagram sponsor? Yeah, yeah. Which brought a live snake to your house? Why not? Well, your wife seemed to have some opinions about it. Well, okay. Well, it's not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. So, But anyway, so you, have you found a new yeah, sponsor for so, us? Yeah, so I dug around. I found a new sponsor from a fellow podcaster. Oh, nice. And so um, we traded. She's going to advertise our weekly pod, our weekly hijack and our derail trains of thought. And I'm going to advertise her podcast. And I have this little script here. Okay, so let's hear it. Here we go. Okay. Today's episode of Derailed Trains of Thought is sponsored by Play It Again, Sam, one of the longest-running re-listen podcasts on the web. Listeners of Derailed Trains of Thought will know about rewatch podcasts like our own Weekly Hijack, where we rewatch TV series like Babylon 5 and Lost. Well, Play It Again, Sam's host, Samantha Wittershins, loves rewatch podcasts so much that she created her own podcast dedicated to re-listening to the very best of the rewatch podcasts out there. She tackles podcasts like Office Ladies and The West Wing Weekly, as well as lesser-known rewatch series like Repower Rangers and Welcome Back to Melmac. You don't need to go find a new rewatch podcast. Revisit your old favorites and new gems with Sam as she reacts to the criticisms and praises of others. Also, starting this January, Sam's roommate Jen is launching her own daily podcast, Incept Jen, where she will re-listen and react to Samantha's podcast about re-listening and reacting to the very best of podcasts dedicated to re-watching and reacting to all your favorite shows. Join in the fun at playitagainsampodcast.com and wherever fine podcasts are found. Well, that was nice to hear. Yeah, so go check her out. I think it's, I listen to a few of them. They're very nice. It'll be nice to re-listen through someone else's ears. Yes, exactly. And I think Inception sounds fascinating. Yes. Do you think they'll ever re-listen to any of our re-watching of Lost on the Weekly Hijack? I think they do plan to do that soon. Cool, cool. Anyways, Tim, it is now time for our, our take on Tales. A couple years ago, we started make, using January to go over the books. We, we do a lot of movie reviews during the year, and not always as many book reviews. Actually, our take on Tales has not been our go-to podcast the last year as much as it used to be, which I think is okay. I enjoy the new variety that we tend to have on the podcast lately. It tends to just be like the book club and the January and the move and the summer movies. Summer movies. At, in end of summer or I actually September. Saw, I actually saw a couple movies in the theater lately. It's yeah. Been fun. Or one, I guess. One. <laughs> Better than uh, most of 2020. But hopefully our goal in our take on tales for the January book one is partly, you know, we hopefully read some books that were interesting and maybe it'll pique your interest. Everyone's looking for, you know, usually people have reading goals or whatever at the beginning of the year. And maybe something like, oh, I could add that to my list of things to watch or read. Or, oh, I'm glad I'm not reading that, depending <laughs> on our content. Usually these books have been from our No Pressure Book Club, although this year the No Pressure Book Club kind of 
sputtered, petered out and, to halfway through the year. Had very low pressure. <laughs> low pressure, which was not due to quarantining or anything. It was actually due to other life stuff lot, going on. A lot of the life changes happened this fall. Between both uh, Yes, between me getting married, between Nick kind of tra- in, transitioning in, to teaching. Mid-career transition yeah. kind of stuff. So well, where you had to read other kinds of books. Other books. And so. some of those will show up here if I haven't talked about them yet. But Tim, we did read a couple books this year. For our book club, let's so let's ta- get started. Let's talk. Let's start with Watership Down. Oh yes, was that our first one for the year? I think so. So Watership Town, Tim. Watership Town. Well, <laughs> by the that's the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Watership Down, which I felt like I was reading over the course of the entire spring. <laughs> it took me a while, but because it was a long book, it but... is a long book, and it in some ways I think I'll it'll stick around my head a little longer because it was a longer read. It was not a quick read. Yes. And it was not about sailing or um I guess we were both interested in it because of um Lost actually. <laughs> yes, cuz Sawyer reads it. I don't know of, of all the books that Sawyer read that why we we latched onto that one. It's about bunnies. <laughs> um but it was like it's kind of a modern classic. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know anything about it, it's about Bunnies, literally. Yeah. Um, and not really anthropomorphic bunnies. They're actually like act like real bunnies. They don't, they eat grass and they can't run faster than normal bunnies. And they don't, I mean, they talk obviously, but they're, even their society is very bunny. Very rabbit like. And in a lot of ways, this was the book's greatest strength and its greatest weakness, I felt like. Cause like, yeah, it really got into the mind in some ways of a rabbit humanize it as little as possible like in terms of like not understanding they were not disneyfied no no they the example i tended to always give when i was explaining this to someone was like early in the book they have to cross a little stream and they put when one of the rabbits is just too exhausted to swim and so they put him on a board mm-hmm. and and some of the rabbits don't have any understanding what, what is this like you're what, floating him what, what do you like, mean what is the boat yeah. yeah they have no understanding and then once they get him across then they kind of forget about it for a while mm-hmm. So why I say it's it's something of a weakness was that I felt like early in the book, it was hard for me to get super invested in the characters because I'm not really an animals person. And at the end of the day, they're just rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like it was different from like, say, a Redwall book where like, yeah, they're mice and badgers and all these things. But they're but, people. But they're people <laughs> like, yes, these are characters I care about. And the rabbits did have personalities. And they grew more. The deeper you got into it, the deeper. Yeah. You cared. Yeah. The the parts, when it was kind of them just kind of traveling and, and certain things, it, and then when they would encounter other civilizations of rabbits, That's suddenly it. it became a lot more interesting. Yes. And I think a really interesting thing is, so we have this, you know, very r- rabbitness, but simultaneously, like, we have this sort of, I don't even want to say epic, but this, this much deeper sense of a world. Like, they have a mythology. Mm-hmm. They have a heroes that they tell stories about which those chapters are sometimes my favorites yeah and, and they were like there's there's four sections of the book and each section had one big story about this i forget what his name is el haraya i think yeah that sounds right their hero rabbit and then they had some really interesting to- ideas about this is why it became you know literary about society and stuff and i don't think the guy was trying to say anything particularly but no he, he actually emphasized in his forward that like these are stories I made up for my kids, yeah. and it's very interesting to me to see some of the things that people pulled out of it. But at some basic level, they were they were stories I just wanted to tell my children. And there's and there's some there's some very interesting. You know, it's kind of brutal. I mean, mm-hmm. the fight between the rabbits and Fiverr, who's um, one of the rabbits, has this sort of um, Cassandra esque ability 
Cassandra being the prophetess from Greek mythology who was cursed to be able to tell the see the future, but no one believes her. Uh-huh. So there's like this is prophecy going on with this rabbit, which is an interesting thing when they're also very rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> Lost connection. I wonder how much that's a Walt thing. Oh. Well, Walt was more psychic than prophet. I mean, just that there's this one, they're all trying yeah. to live, and there's one weird one. and eh, Okay, maybe. But anyways, I think it was completely worth it. It is not a fast read. No, and this is one of those, when we, I think we talked about this some in our nature episodes. Yeah. We were talking about the lay of the land, and so if there's some of those early chapters that will be a little slow going, but... I do think it was worth I'm glad I read it. Big Wig is awesome. Big Wig is, yes. And the they do, in the latter half of the book, they have a, a fantastic villain to go yes. up against. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and some it? really... General Ward? No, what is it? Um, I can't remember now. Ah, darn! This memory <laughs> thing. But, like, some very tense scenes at the end. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's legitimately... Like, the last 50 pages you just blow through. Yeah, yeah. And it was very interesting after the fact to look up some of the different animated adaptations <laughs> of this thing. You and I were looking at some yeah. trailers on YouTube. Sometime I think we need to watch that. I guess the one that has scarred many school kids is the like 1970s animated one. It seems one. very 70s, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I would say thumbs up on Watership Down. But don't go into it thinking like, oh, it's going to be a, it's not going to be a happy book of bunnies. There's blood and death. Yeah. And it's not going to be like a quick. Redwall thing. It's, no. It's its own thing, and it is, I think, seriously, I don't know that there's anything else like it that I've ever come across. I concur. All right. Um, did you read mythology? I did not. I'll just do <laughs> a brief I, thing of that. I was trying to get through Watership Down. <laughs> okay. Mythologies by Edith Hamilton, I believe, is just a collection, a very solid, comprehensive collection of Greek myths. It gives you basically the whole rundown of anything important that's ever been written. It's a, a really good summary it hits all the main everything. I mean, it's for, from Odyssey to little stories. And almost the most interesting thing to me this time reading, and I feel like I've read parts of this before, is before each section she'd say, like, oh, I got most of these stories from these authors, and she'd quote little bits of it and whatever. Oh, she'd okay. summarize all in her own voice. Uh-huh. And every once in a while I'm like, I need to go find that version. Um, because you can just sense, like, okay, these stories are good, but let's read the, the real. But, you know, yeah. it's all in weird Greek poetry. I mean, that's how they wrote it. They didn't, okay. Nothing was written in prose back then i don't think uh, so was her telling of the tales in poetry or? no hers was prose okay okay so so they were they, i mean they were summaries but they were they were pretty entertaining summaries they okay, weren't they okay. weren't super dry i mean they weren't like cliff notes it was a little yeah, bit more than that. a little more than that yeah now like if you knew it well like if you had read the odyssey the odyssey summary just seems a little weird okay because well yeah that's a long work yeah i imagine not all of them were that long no um but there's some really interesting thing like i came out of it thinking that prometheus is just a very interesting character at the very end, she has a little section on Norse gods and mythology, hmm. and that's super interesting. And they're okay. very different gods. Because like the, the Greek gods, they don't die, and they're like humans. Well, and, and the Roman gods are basically like copy and paste of Greek gods. Yeah, and uh, they, she, does some, she does some of the Greek gods and says how they're different a little bit. I mean... You mean Roman gods? Roman, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay. And then, but the Norse gods then, she's are very different. Like, they can die... Mm. And there's an end of the world coming. and But even with the Greek gods, there's like this story, I don't know where it's from, but that basically Prometheus knows how Zeus will die and how the gods will come to an end but won't tell anyone. It's, uh-huh. it's very like, it sounds like a late edition, but it's still super, there's just these elements of, everyone's to get a sense, especially with the Norse, but even the Greek, the sort of thing that C.S. Lewis and Tolkien talk about, about mythology having this presence presence of truth in it. Okay. And everyone wants to get a hint of that. That, to me, was the most interesting Long term. 
This is a random thought. Yeah. Have, have there ever been any sort of like a crossover between the Norse and the Greek gods? All uh, of a sudden, I, I just thought like I'd really love to see Zeus go up against Odin. If there has been, it would be like, I don't know of any. I wonder if Rick Jordan's ever mixed his. Oh. He has a Norse series, Magnus Chase, and then he has the Percy Jackson, which is all. Uh-huh. And f- my son, who's read a lot of the Percy Jackson and then the Apollo series, that there's apparently, there are like both Roman gods and Greek gods, and they kind of both coexist. Oh, interesting. Okay. Based on, I don't, if I, I might be misunderstanding. So I wonder if they've ever crossed. I don't know. Hmm. And okay. that, that's the only thing I wouldn't be aware of. But yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. They're very different. The Norse are much more war-oriented. Super deity brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. Billy Bud. Billy Bud. Melville uh, novella. Yes, Herman Melville, which this is actually, I think, my first Melville. I've never read Moby Dick, which, is there any other Melville that's famous? I'm trying to think. Super famous? I mean, some of the short stories, but Benito Serino or and Bartleby. Oh, yeah, Bartleby. Um, oh, no, Typey was super popular. It's not quite as well known, but it was probably one of the most popular books in his okay. lifetime. But anyway, Billy Budd, uh, which was actually published posthumously. Yes. Because apparently Melville, I was reading, he uh, he had a turn of fortunes after Moby Dick. Well, I guess Moby Dick was not actually very popular. Oh, they did not alive. like it then, yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And it seems like to me, and I mentioned part going into some of Melville's story, because it seemed to me that he goes at great lengths to explain a lot of his characters in this and there's not that many characters there's mainly billy bud who's this super lovely sailor young young sailor innocent in the in like the classical sense yes there's and i'm not going to remember names but there's a a first mates or another upper not upper classman but another someone on the same boat who is insanely jealous of billy and and kind of it's kind of this satan figure i mean because there is a lot of religious overtones yes and then there's the captain, who is law, a, law, a very <laughs> upright man. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this long dissertation, not dissertation. Eh, it's kind okay. of a dis- it feels it like a dissertation. It's it kind of Melville from yeah, yeah. First few chapters, they kind of set some things in place, but he goes at enormous lengths to kind of explain the motivations of these things mm-hmm. of these people, and then it's a very quick kind of. The action is very quick. Very, yeah. There's not a lot of actual plots to it. It's more about the intentions behind a tragedy and the in the denouma. Yeah, it's a strange story. It is. It very, it very much is. Like if you're waiting for a lot of things to happen, uh, this is not the book for that. It feels deeply literary. It does, and it's very contrary to a modern sense of show don't tell. Mm-hmm. This is like the opposite of that. Yeah, because <laughs> there's very little showing and lots of telling. And the interesting though, though there's so much telling, is that simultaneously at the end, it's very hard to know exactly what to feel about it. Mm-hmm. At least I felt that way. Like, yeah, like I could read various things, and I felt like there was more in places than I got out of it. It's a sort of story that I think you can pull a lot of symbolism out. Yeah, it is kind of bizarre that for as much as this kind of explaining the, these people that he manages to pull off an ambiguous ending. Mm-hmm. I mean, to a degree. I, I think there's certainly a part of it that is about this tragedy of, of Billy Budd that he was unjustly accused mm-hmm. in a moment of pure... I, I'm going to go ahead and spoil it because yeah. it's a short novella, yeah. and honestly, it'll be easier for you to understand what the story is and then read going it. than reading it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's unjustly accused, and in a, in a quick moment of, of righteous indignation, he winds up killing his accuser, mm-hmm. and the captain argues, like, 
look, this was in a way self-defense, but that doesn't matter. We have to execute him because we can't have, and they go into this whole history of why at this point in the British empire, they had to really be forceful against so mutinies. So there were more, yeah, because mutinies had to just happen. And I, I always wonder how much this had to, was Melville commenting on even the practice of capital punishment. And stuff. You know, it's, yeah. there's a lot of context, I feel like, could be added to it <laughs> which is funny considering all the context he tries to give it. yeah like i keep emphasizing he keeps trying to explain things and one of billy bud's things is that he can't explain things he mm-hmm. like he he has this terrible stammer mm-hmm. that prevents him from being understood and it seems like this is sort of like melville's kind of reaction against his moby dick being so apparently misunderstood by his readers and i guess i say it's literary because i think you can read on you can read on the historical level you can read it on the character level. You can read it on the very religious symbolic level. And, uh-huh. You know, as Billy Budd is kind of this Christ figure and, you know, the law and suffering unjustly to, you know. I don't know. I guess I enjoyed it, but I, it's one of those books I had almost wished I had read, like, immediately after had, like, a deep two-hour discussion with three other people who had just read it. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Janelle said that there is a very famous opera based on Billy Which Budd. Which would make sense based on how this is set up. Yeah, it makes complete sense. It's a short enough story, and you could really, you know, an opera where you'd have long soliloquies. And the area, arias, arias and, stuff and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it'd be perfect for it. Yeah. So, would you recommend it for people, Tim? Um, it depends on how interested they are by our discussion, <laughs> which so, I, I know that's a cop-out answer I've said before, but like, if that sounds interesting to you, then yeah, yeah go for it. It's, it's worth a read. It's not, it's not a light read. No. And it's not a plot read. It really is a literary read. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I, I think as a literary read, I found it quite enjoyable. So there you go. There you go. What was the next book on our book club? Yeah, I think that was Great Expectations, wasn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, which, which we had great expectations to actually read. And none of us did. None of us did. We'll get to it eventually. <laughs> we expect that we will. Yes. <laughs> which I feel bad. I, I've seen a mini series of Great Expectations a long time ago, but I don't remember I know almost many nothing about it. Yeah. You had one particular inspiration for wanting to read it, though, didn't you? Yes, because um, my sister hates it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have the, Summer and I had this long-standing like I love Dickens because of Tale Two Cities, and she hated it because of Great Expectations. Well, I got her to read Tale Two Cities, which warmed her up to Dickens, and since then she's been liking Dickens more. Then she read a little Dorrit, and she's happily Dickens-ish now. <laughs> but I would like to know what was so bad about a Great Expectation, whether it was the time she read it, mm. or whether there is just something really weird about it that English people like but normal people don't. Okay. So because most of what I've read of Dickens, I've enjoyed. I mean, I've listened to some of those stories, and I'm like, this, these are enjoyable. Well, speaking of Dickens, there was one Dickens work you did read. I did. So every year we've been reading for the book club a Dickens Christmas story, which I think I'm the only one who read this year's. Yes. Well, it wasn't uh, even assigned. Yeah, we uh, kind of gave up late toward the, I, I kept meaning to post something about it. I was like, yeah, we'll read this, but at the same time knowing that I probably wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> And I think, anyways, let's mention the five so people don't know. So okay. there's Christmas Carol came first. This is by far the most popular and for mm-hmm. good reason. Yep. Then it was... Um, the Chimes. The Chimes. Which I think is the first one we talked about on the podcast. Yes. And then there is the Cricket on the Hearth, uh-huh. which was enjoyable. Very mm-hmm. domestic. Very domestic, yeah. And then the Battle of Life, which I don't think you read. No. Okay. Which I enjoyed, but I read somewhere that people feel is the weakest, and I can I can see that. And then the Haunted Man, which I loved. I thought the Haunt, Haunted Man was my might be my second favorite after a Christmas, after Carol. Christmas Carol. And it's about it's another ghost, um, but this guy Redlaw. Um, he's a chemistry teacher, and he has these deep 
painful memories of how he was wronged by his best friend and how his sister died and all this stuff. Um, he lost his love and all these things. And this ghost comes to us, this doppelganger, it's him, saying, well, I can take that away from you. And he's like, no. But anyway, so he says, I'll take away your, all your memories of sadness and wrong, but you will also, anyone you meet, you'll do this, give them the same gift. You, you take it away their memories of sadness and wrong, hmm. which is a pretty cool setup. Yeah. It feels very much like my some ideas up for the pain machine. I don't know if I ever mentioned that. Nathan mm. Marshan is super excited if I ever write it. <laughs> um, and then basically the whole second section is him going around and he's taking away people's, not intentionally, just when he goes places, he takes away their pains and memories. And he starts realizing like it is a very bad thing. Mm. Because what the way Dickens presents it is that once you lose the memory of wrongs and sorrows, you've lost that part of your memory that makes you compassionate and soft to other people. There's a husband and wife, and they just turn bitter and crotchety towards each other because they're poor and she's growing old and ugly. And But they had had all these hard times together that had built memories and love for each other, but then the context of all was erased. There's this young urchin kid who's the only person not affected by his touch because he already has no softening influence in his life. It's mm. only been hard things without any... And so it's a very interesting view of sort of sorrow and why the memory of sorrow and the memory of wrongs is important for a virtuous life. The main character who kind of reverses everything, this young lady, she has been pregnant and um, lost her kid. And ever since that deep sorrow, she had basically become a mother to everyone else. Oh. Um, so it's that, that playing that sorrows are redeemed through compassion and forgiveness and wow. other such stuff. So it was a fascinating book. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a shame to me that, because the theme I think is so interesting and not explored very often, that it's not, that no one's done, that I know of done much with The Haunted Man. Yeah. It reminds me, Nate could tell me more specific episodes, but it reminds me of some stories from Star Trek, the okay. original series, where they encounter some alien thing that's like taking away weakness and pain mm -hmm. and things like that. But that'd be a very, yeah, a very cool story to hear in a Dickens setting. And it's, and it's just an old, I mean, this is an old story for saying something that I think is still a very modern theme. Yeah. So actually, I very much enjoyed it. There's always the goofy characters, and there's a nice clean ending. Anything that's normally Dickens is in it. So if you don't like nice clean endings, you think that's too unrealistic, it's Dickens. Um, <laughs> or like random sidetracks. You know, that stuff's all there. But I, I really enjoyed it. Cool. And it was just, it was, I was not expecting, it was a different sort of thing. I mean, I've liked all his kind of Christmas, what he's trying to do with them. Mm -hmm. But that one, I think, just hit me right. So nice. Wasn't that one? I feel like that one was written like maybe a couple years. Maybe he needed a little break. Yeah, I don't remember. Them. I didn't look up. Oh, okay. But anyway, now you've read all the Dickens Christmas short stories mm -hmm. slash novellas. Well, yeah, whatever size they are. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, were there any other notable books you wanted to talk about from that you read in 2020? Yeah, I guess the only one that I, I think is important to. Well, two. One I wanted to say, I mentioned on the podcast, so it'll be real quick. I finally finished Robinson Crusoe. Mm -hmm. I just have to say, I really enjoyed this book. And I, I'm constantly thankful that we have old books to read. Because I think old books just lend a very different view of the world sometimes than new books can. Sure. And just his, you know, his sense of providence and God and how God works in suffering and stuff. I think it's just very interesting. And you can tell that Daniel Defoe has a very different worldview than many 
modern writers for a variety of reasons. For some, it's because it's 400 years ago. <laughs> right. And some just because of the religious world he was coming from. And so I really enjoyed Robinson Crusoe. It took me a long time to get into. Mm-hmm. And then I also read, I'm going to butcher this, The Orestia, I think that's how I call it, is a cycle of a trilogy of plays by, um, I'm going to mess this guy's name up, Chrysalis. I don't know. I'm sure it's in Greece. <laughs> Anyways, it's Agamemnon, the Libation Bearers, and the Eumenides. Oh, man. I think I saw the Agamemnon at some point. It's a cool play. That's the best of the three. It, it was very hard to sit through as a, uh, when was that, sophomore year? Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Junior, junior year of, of college. <laughs> they were like, they, they did it in with like traditional Greek masks. Oh, So fun. you couldn't like, there was no emoting going on. They were like, uh. But, yeah. but you enjoyed it, apparently. It did take me a while to get into it. It was one of these that like, getting in the mindset and having enough context, because they're presenting this trilogy of plays, assuming you know a lot of the, mythology of these characters already. Oh, okay. And I started reading the intro, the book the translator had, and he was so, like, just... (laughs) Uh, Dry? Dry and, like, pulling ridiculous amount of stuff out of little bits of things. Like, very English teacher. Oh, okay. Um, And I'm just like, this is not helping me understand at all. You're making me more confused. (laughs) Um, But when I got into it, I'm like, the drama of Agamemnon is very good. The leading up and the building to when they kill, what's his name? Don't they um, wind up? Don't they wind up killing someone and making a stew out of him? Is that Agamemnon? That's uh, that's Agamemnon had done that, or his father had done that. It's part of the family curse, like the family's curse because that happened. That like okay. one person had killed their brother and put him into stew and fed to his family or something like that. Yeah, and so. There's this sort of reckoning of old family sins on both sides. Well, so one side's getting reckoned, and then suddenly because the guy who did the reckoning killed his father and mother, then he needs justice. And so the next part's working that out. And then the third one is kind of like forgiveness and turning the Furies into good, and it's the origin of, I'm going to forget which Greek city now, but one of the Greek cities. Which, to be fair, the pursuit of justice slash revenge is something that we are still seeing play out in human society today. And, and, and as a story of justice versus revenge, I think it was a, a pretty interesting trilogy. And then the third one is especially important if you're Greek, because it talks about the origin of a city and, and, and laws and how there's no longer like just vigilanteism, but mm. structure and civilization. And it's just interesting, too, to think of the trilogy in olden times. You sure. know, it was a, there was a contest, I think, where you just write these play trilogies. And apparently the Furies, according to stories in these plays, were so ferocious that, like, people gave birth in the middle of it, you know, like, or they screamed and fainted, that apparently it was a very intense, according to stories, play. Hmm. So, again, I'm sure there's, speaking of forget, I'm sure I'll forget most of it very soon because the context, it would be one that'd be nice to have someone who tell you, Here's, All the extra stuff yeah. that helps you understand it more. Uh-huh. Um, but I thought I appreciate it. And I throw in real quick, I also read Edge Dancer just like two weeks ago, last week, which is uh, Stormlight Archive, book two and a half. <laughs> well, that's a relief. This uh, particular book, our take on Tales, has been very literature heavy. Yeah, so I had to throw that in there. <laughs> I'm pretty impressed with ourselves. Well, if we had read more books this year anyway, <laughs> the ones we did read were actually pretty, compared to last year, I felt like we had a lot of pulp YA mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Do I have time to throw one more in? <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. I wrote a whole list, but when I was quarantined for COVID, uh-huh. I was reading, I decided to pick up an old, so Deathgate Cycle, which I said I don't remember, 
I read reread the first book, which was just interesting after twenty five years probably uh-huh. rereading that there were some scenes like I remembered. Oh, and there's okay. other ones I'm like I have no idea what's happening here. <laughs> um, and it's interesting coming back to it because I still love the characters and love the world, but the writing style was not as good as I remembered. Oh, well, now that I thought anything about it back then. Uh huh. But it was just an interesting trip down memory lane, I guess. Now Maybe is that I, is that a series that's meant for adults, or is it was it more of a YA series or kid series? I mean, it's probably more adult. It's like Dragonlance books, kind of. I mean, oh, okay. it's fantasy, but it's not like it's not trying to be super literary. Literary, okay. No, it was a lot of fun, and the, it wasn't bad writing. It was just normal, okay. But the characters are great. The ideas are great, and I know that's why I loved it to begin with. And I probably you know I had time to read more of it, so that was fun. So yeah, that's my my list. I mean, I got more. The random ones, most of it just stuff from school. I did read one nonfiction. Oh, okay. Um, Factfulness, which was a book I got suggested somewhere, but it kind of it said the subtitle something along why the world's not as bad as you think it is, and it basically goes through ten ways we tend to look at data wrong, hmm. and we tend to get more panicky than the data actually usually means. And it was a very interesting. It like talks about you know how the world's horrible. It's like. We've like half po- extreme poverty in the last 50 years. There's a lot of things going in the right direction yeah. that as humans, the way our brains work, we don't think about. And it talks about those sorts of things our brains do to make things look worse than they are or to misrepresent things. Probably because when we see one thing working well, it's like, okay, let's move on to the next problem to take care of. And so we just see all the problems. So it was just an interesting, because the guy's whole job is basically looking at all the mega data from all the world stuff, trends and stuff. And it was, it was interesting for that reason. Cool. I don't have a whole lot of. I didn't do a lot of uh, book and hand reading well, you this have a year. Good audio you listed, but I I did this in 2020. I did listen to Audible quite a fair bit, so that, because I was doing a lot of driving to and from Wheaton and various other things. So I thought I'd just go through some of my lists here. Um, one you had wanted me to talk about, Superpowered. Because you've been telling. I mean, you got my wife to read it. Yeah. Well, I think I wound up reading or listening through mo- that series more in 2019. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. But I'll just touch base on it. Drew Hayes, this is a series that was written as web fiction originally, and it kind of shows a little bit. But I listened to this a lot when I was like uh, working out. It's great. I still actually am listening. I'm doing a re-listen of the last book in the series because it's nice. Basically, they're superhero university. It's kind of like superhero Harry Potter. Yeah, in, in some ways, in some ways. I think the author's style is very analytical in some ways, which is kind of fun when he's like analyzing the what each person is thinking in a fight and the strategy that you're going to need to employ to, for one character with powers to beat another character with maybe on the surface level may seem like a, uh, a bad matchup and how the, how can you get around that or not? He's a phenomenal world builder. I would really love to know how much of the, some of the big ongoing mysteries he had plotted out and how, which things he was figuring out as he went that. And the fact that he basically created a, what feels like a pretty comprehensive superhero curriculum for this whole world. And it seemed like it's laid out. The students are told the information they need when they, in each year, each book is basically a year. Mm-hmm. So um, there's four books. There's then? four books. Okay. So yeah, freshman through senior year. And then there's an ongoing mystery from the first book to the last book. Wow. Um, the finale is fantastic. It, really, each each book finale is pretty great. So yeah, no, it's it's a pretty uh, pretty enjoyable. I mean, I say his weakness in some ways is the he's very analytical and sometimes like makes some of his characters start feeling a little samey. Mm. But at the same time, 
they also feel unique and have their own strengths and weaknesses. And uh, there's there's some good emotional moments in there too. For so. the for the audience. I think when my wife tried to find it, it's only audio, isn't it? No, no, there is there is some, some having, print books. She was having trouble finding print book. Okay, so okay, the so audio must be easier to find. I guess, probably, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's on Audible. Okay. So I don't know, because I know one of my sisters has at least one of the books. Okay, so, print so books. it can be found. Okay. So yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's that one. Last year, I also went through the Reckoner series, which you talked about oh, on the yeah. podcast back in the day. So um, I think it's an enjoyable series. I think you mainly talked on our take on tales about Steelheart. Probably, yeah, that um, sounds right. But basically, it's superhero series, real quick. Just a post I guess because I finished the one, I wanted to go to another one. In this one, the super powered people are all villains. Yes, which is interesting. It is interesting, and so the the series is about this underground group of people trying to basically take out the superpowered and they all have one weakness they a all have, uh, and it can be kind of random yes so that was that was an enjoyable book Brandon Sanderson and I do appreciate like you said he's a uh, those are kind of his YA level books I haven't mm. ventured into his realms of fantasy yet because yeah. I know those are massive they are massive but I do appreciate their he can write good popcorn style stories without including like one bad thing about superpowers is that it's an overabundance of cussing in it oh yeah um not every page, but more than I would wish he would do. Which that's, I mean, again, it was web fiction, so internet audience yeah. tends to go that way. Let's see. I also read a George Lucas biography, or listened to a George Lucas biography, oh. which was interesting, but kind of about what you what you'd come to expect to hear about George Lucas. Interesting to hear about how his wanting to control all aspects or edit of, of a movie doesn't isn't just from when he became a mega millionaire. No, that goes all the way back to his student film days. Mm -hmm. He was very much part of the auteur theory of director having his hand on everything. <laughs> Janelle and I listened to an audiobook of Redwall during our honeymoon. Oh, nice. So the, the, of Red, the original Redwall? The original Redwall okay. with a voice cast. Brian Jocks actually did the, the narration for, and oh, he nice. was really fun to listen to. Nice. That was one Greg had recommended to me because he's a huge fan of Redwall stuff. My, I think Phil's reading Redwall right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, the audiobook is, is, is pretty fun. And then kind of did, did a little bit of a break. I have more Audible credits I need to cash in. But most recently, and I guess this is technically 2021, but I'm going to talk about it now anyway because we'll forget. Uh, yeah, exactly. I read J. Michael Straczynski's autobiography. Oh, did you finish it? I did finish it. Becoming Superman, I guess I, guess I should say. Listen to it. And this one was narrated by Peter Jurassic. Lando Malari. Lando Malari himself. So it was kind of fun to hear him talk ad nauseum without the Centauri accent. More of a, I'm not sure. I want to say he's from New York, maybe. Uh, American accent, yeah. nevertheless. But he still has some of the same like cadence that uh, Lando would have when he was doing narration. But interesting biography. He had a pretty horrible childhood, very pretty bad family, and a particularly terrible, terrible father. Very was, there, was there addiction in somewhere in his family? Uh, yeah, his father was a raging alcoholic. Okay, because that comes through in a lot. In yeah, at least ra five. raging alcoholic. Okay, literally, and so it it is interesting to see how because I guess he had never talked a whole lot about his background, maybe just little bits and pieces. But he actually says in the introduction, one of the reasons he decided to tell his story was he realized he was kind of afraid what people might think when they found out where he came from. And he said, as soon as you find out you're afraid of something, there's only one thing to do. That's to face it head on. So of course that means he was going to write about it. Yeah. 
But there's some interesting things in there about how, as an abused child, that colored a lot of your thinking growing going into adult life, this kind of protective mode, his sense of having to fight his way through the world, basically. It's called Becoming Superman because he got huge inspiration from Superman in particular. In some ways, Superman is really where he developed his sense of morality. Interesting. Yeah, it very. which in some ways is very validating, like what I, how I've argued about how like stories that show an idealized version of who we should be are incredibly valuable and yes, incredibly important. And it was very important in his life. It's also kind of sad to see, you could totally see how he, he landed on the philosophies he, he came with because his encounters with the religion vary between like abusive Catholic nun school mm. that he went to, to the one time he did kind of fall into a more charismatic movement. He was in a, like a community where he tried to raise a red flag against a leader who was having sexual oh, so affairs and abuse. they they wound up like blacklisting him kicking him out so yeah I, honestly it's actually pretty impressive in babylon 5 he's as kind to religion as he is <laughs> given some of the the background he's had but that's super interesting and then one other thing i found really interesting as he gets into his professional life because i knew that he had worked in animation he'd worked in mm. tv and then movies and comic books and I'd always assume he just got bored of one thing and then move on. And that was in some way part of it. But it was also he kept getting into fights with executives, <laughs> the producers, and he would not he knew what was the right thing to do and they would want to do something. And really some pretty he talked about like with the Ghostbusters, some changes. And I'd I don't know much about the Ghostbusters cartoon. No. But I've heard from I think I'd heard on some other podcasts they talked about like, yeah, they changed it at one point and it wasn't as good and this is when when J. Michael Zerzinski left. It's when the show went downhill. He's very good about standing up for things he thinks are right. Right. And the but the consequence of that is that he became kind of unemployable in one medium, so he kind of had to move into another one. Interesting. The one exception to that is comics. He he purposely left that one because he felt like he needed to a new challenge. But he did and thankfully on that one at least he didn't burn bridges before he, yeah. he changed. So he may wind up going back to he's writing very, comics He's very again. respected in the comic realm. Yeah. But it was interesting that, like, apparently when he wrote Changeling, the movie that Clint Eastwood oh, yeah. directed, that was, one, a story that he had first encountered, like, 20 years ago as a reporter and then just hadn't gotten around to figuring out how to tell that story. But then, two, he was actually getting kind of desperate. You know, we assume that he's the creator of Babylon 5. Once you've made it, you've yep. made it. But in his case, he was like, he was beginning to, to go on, you know, the the riot. I mean, it's a rags and riches story, but he might have gone back into poverty if, mm. if he hadn't been able to to sell the script and at least the way he tells it. Yeah. And if they would ever monetize Babylon 5, I mean, yeah. just show it, guys. Well, apparently there's the story there, I think, is that Babylon 5 was, there's some executive stuff going on there that, they, that, that he's... He's burned more, is that... I don't know the story because okay. Babylon Five was was done in a really weird way. It was for it was made for syndication, and yeah. it was a different you know executives changed. Yeah, different people came out. Some people came in, and so yeah, I saw him say in an interview that it was something of a miracle that it ever was on Amazon Prime because <laughs> there's like he said there's a dragon there that's kind of in front of the gates, <laughs> holding it that's up. That's crazy. It's it's really sad to think about how. There are some people in executive producing positions who 
are genuine artists, and then there are other people who are just business people. They're, and they like power. I'm, and they like power. Yeah. I mean, that's the sense I get. I've not encountered them. Yeah. But, but you, you, you certainly get the sense of that in this story. But it's a fascinating story from... First time I, I think I've read a biography of a creative who is just a writer mm-hmm. and who really defines himself by his writing to good and bad effect in some ways. Like he, he shows his warts. Yeah. He certainly does. And how in some ways, I don't want to say writing is a crutch because he definitely has done great things through his writing, but he also kind of acknowledges his own need of it. D- yeah. Dependency in some ways. So it's, it's an interesting book. So anyway, that's probably went on longer than needed to be, but uh, it made, made me interested in it. <laughs> well, and as a our take on tales, these book ones tend to go long anyway. Yeah, well, I, I'm the one who said like 20 of them. So, <laughs> all right. So with that, we'll move towards bowing out here, wherever we are. Yes, I kind of forget what, what was well, the name of this place again. It's kind of here, and yeah, it's kind of it is it's pretty, but I feel like we've been in some of these rooms before. Yeah. What are those cards you got? Um, I don't know. They seem to be able to help us get through this castle. Maybe we can use them to get our way. Maybe out we of should here. focus a little bit. Okay. Probably. All right. So we need to bow out here before I give my soundtrack. Oh yeah, we need to give some contact info. Yes. That's what we often do at the end yeah, of these I think things. So. I think. So, so uh, you can find us at derailtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. Our email address is. Derailtrains at gmail.com. And I'm pretty sure you can find us at iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify. and I think so. And possi- Google, Google Podcast, too. Yeah, possibly Twitter and... Facebook occasionally. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, as, as long as they haven't kicked us out. Yeah. Off, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, yeah. Okay, good. So for our, my soundtrack today, I wanted to pick a song that I loved but had forgotten I loved, and that's hard to do. <laughs> but then it did occur to me that there's a song that I used to listen to all the time that I haven't haven't forever. Um, it's Maze Dude, obviously. It's remixed from Rygar, which I've never played, and it's called Tripping on Snails. And it's also kind of fun because Maze Dude himself says that he wrote it from memory, and he had actually missed a whole section of the original tune. It doesn't hurt the song at all. It's no. a great, it's a great jazzy remix. But um, I spent many repeats, pressing repeat many times, listening to Trippin' on Snails, and uh, so I'll play it here. Cool stuff. All right. Well, we will see you when we see you. Or you'll hear us when you hear us. Something along those lines. Yes. So um, until later, this is Nick. And this is Tim. Adios. Bye-bye.
where she will re-listen and react to Samantha's podcast about re-listening and reacting to the very best of podcasts dedicated to (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I kind of lost it. (laughs) The dead series is the best. Okay. 